and that will be good. It was just wonderful. Mandy is where? Mandy, right there you are. Thank you. As you were playing that music, I just appreciated that. A little bit of Americana right there as you went through that medley. Absolutely wonderful. Now, the reason that it really, I'm like, this is great, is because it, it, this was good. Lori rarely has the opportunity to do hospital ministry with me. And on the 4th of July, she was, strange thing, happened to be available. And so we did get down to see Edie, and we went and we saw Peggy. And, but it kind of took up our day. And so we didn't have the chance to really enter into the 4th of July stuff, and we kind of like the 4th of July stuff. So I think what I'd like to do, just because you brought us back, that, hey, we're still in the mode of the 4th. So what I've done is I brought sparklers, firecrackers, and I got a lighter here, okay? So I need somebody who's willing to we'll light the sparklers, and then with that, we'll use the sparkler to light the firecrackers, okay? I left my bottle rockets at home because the ceiling's a little low for bottle rockets. All right, got any volunteers? Okay, anyone, huh? Anybody? Oh, oh yeah, there's a flame. Okay, good. I will just do, do it this. I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm just kidding. But we did celebrate the 4th of July, didn't we? And we got engaged in it as we could, and we celebrate it because the 4th of July, we all know, we call it Independence Day, is a day when we as a nation declared our independence from King George in England. And we have written as part of our Declaration of Independence, signed, was it 441, 241 years ago now, 242? We have these words written, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Significant statement in our in our uh, Declaration of Independence. Now, what matters in that, of course, is that when America was founded, we were founded on this, that our rights come from God. This is the self-evidence that is written into our Declaration, that we are endowed by our Creator. Why does that matter? Let's remind ourselves It matters because when our rights come from God, no man, no government can take them from us. Now, there are people within within the walls of Americana who want power and authority in America, and they would say that's old and outdated, and government is the bestower of rights. Well, friends, let's remember, if government can give them, government can take them away. And this is what we wind up finding happens in something called tyranny, when man has power and he thinks he can do whatever it is that he wants. So these rights, we say, are unalienable. They cannot be taken from us. Important to our perspective of our, of our liberty. Hard fought in one. It also, in that statement, said that governments are to derive their power from the consent of the governed. A government which is of the people, by the people, for the people. That we consent to what those who are in power 
what, what they are doing. And if not, we change them. It's called elections. We say, nope, that's not the direction that we want to go. We want something else. And through elections, we get other people who are in places of power. But this in itself was a magnificent new way to found a nation. And John Adams, reflecting on this, in 1818, so significant, a few decades past the founding of our country, he wrote this, But what do we mean by the American Revolution? Do we mean the American War? The revolution was effected before the war commenced. The revolution was, in the minds and hearts of the people, a change in their religious sentiments, of their duties and obligations. This radical change in the principles, opinions, sentiments, and affections of the people was the real American Revolution. There was something new. There was a concept. There was an idea of self-governing that men and women were not to be under the tyranny of a king or a tyrant but they were to be able to govern themselves. And that is what was new. In order to affect it, an actual war took place, and you know all about it or have studied it at some point. And you've, when you think in terms of, yes, things like the Boston Tea Party and Lexington and Concord and Paul Revere and his famous ride, it was all part of affecting and being able to put in place this revolution of thought. And we celebrate the fourth because they won. And with that, liberty is ours. And we hold that in high regard. So we celebrate the fact that they won the revolution. As we come to Psalm 84, which is the third of five psalms we're going to touch on in the book of Psalms. Why are we taking five? The book of Psalms is such a long book. And it's broken into five different segments, if you will. And we're in the third segment. We're going to take one book from each of these five segments to give ourselves a sense as to the grandeur of this book. We come to Psalm 84 this morning, and it could be argued, in fact, I will try and do that, that this psalm was written celebrating a revolution that was lost. A revolution that was lost. And it's the people who lost who are celebrating. Now, that's a little different. We celebrate July 4th because we won. And these people are willing to celebrate something that was lost. Now, you've got to let me put some pieces together for you on this, folks. So go with me, if you will, here. want to begin. We're just going to read Psalm 84. And it begins with this. The blessedness is dwelling in the house of God. To the chief musician on an instrument of gaff, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Now, that's just a prefix a heading before we actually get to the psalm. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you, Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass from the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. 
O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. You see it there, don't you? A revolution that was lost. Well, in order to understand why I'm saying that, we've got to give just a little bit of background. And this will not show up on the screen. There's way too much to cover, and I will do my best to cover it in, in good order here. But if we were to go back to the book of Numbers, in chapter 4, there's two chapters I'm going to touch on in the book of Numbers. So if you have your Bible with you, please turn to it. Or if you want to take one from the pew, you may be able to find it a little bit easier to follow along. But it just wasn't something I could ask Jeff to put on the screen because we're going to kind of jump in and out of it. Numbers chapter 4. Understand where we are at in the salvation history account for us. Israel has been delivered from Egypt. They are no longer in bondage to Egypt. God has instructed them to build a tabernacle. We have studied that at length. There are responsibilities given to particular peoples in order to make sure all of this runs smoothly. God has selected the tribe of Levi out to be his peculiar people to serve around the tabernacle. And in Numbers chapter 4, we see some assignments that are made. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Take a census of the sons of Kohath from among the children of Levi, by their families, by their father's house, from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, who enter the service to do the work in the tabernacle of meeting. So very often, when they're trying to figure out how they're going to apportion things, you very often... They start out with a census to kind of take an assessment. How many people do you have between 30, the ages of 30 and 50, in order to uh, accomplish all the things that take place? Now, what we have laid out for us in the ensuing uh, verses is the means by which when when the Aaron and the priesthood, they would come in, they would wrap all of the furniture that's in the tabernacle. Remember? There is a lampstand. There is a table. There is a, a, uh, an altar of incense. There is the Ark of the Covenant with the gold covering on top of it called the mercy seat. All of these furniture pieces as well as the utensils all needed to be wrapped properly. Once they were wrapped properly, here is what takes place. Verse 15, I'm jumping all the way down. When Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set to go, because remember the tabernacle is movable, because they, they built this in, around Mount Sinai, and they've got to still get up to the promised land. When the camp is set to go, then the sons of Kohath shall come to carry them, but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These are the things in the tabernacle of meeting which the sons of Kohath are to carry. So you see, the reason we need to wrap these things is to make sure that they don't make, one of the reasons is to make sure they don't make physical contact with these holy pieces of furniture from the tabernacle. Because Aaron and the priests, 
They have all been ceremonially washed and cleansed in order to handle these things, but the Levites have not. So they can't handle them. And if they do, they touch them, their life is literally in danger. Dropping down to verse 17. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Do not cut off the tribe of the families of the Kohathites from among the Levites, but do this in regard to them, that they may live and not die when they approach the most holy things. Aaron and his son shall go in and appoint each of them to his service and his task, but they shall not go in to watch while the holy things are being covered, lest they die. So part of this process is the Levites, or the Kohathites, are giving such a significant responsibility to handle such holy utensils and implements that their life is in danger if it's done wrong. And there are accounts, as you know, in the Old Testament, there are accounts of those who touched simply touched a shaking ark and died because it's that serious in terms of you cannot do that and God brought judgment upon them. So this is to protect them in this significant responsibility that they have of literally picking up now and carrying this stuff because somehow it's got to get from one place to another and it is to be carried So that's their assignment, Numbers chapter 4. Then if you drop on down, and that was for the sons of Koath. Now drop on down to Numbers chapter 16. Number 16. This is a little time later now. We're not exactly sure how much time has evolved, but it's going to tie together. Go with me, would you please? Numbers chapter 16. Now Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Koath the son of Levi. With Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and on the son of Pelah, sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? Well, you see, these guys step up. They say, wait a second now. Hold on. All of the assembly of God's people, all of the the people of Israel, they're all holy Why should you be ruler over everything in this way? Why is it that you have this kind of authority? Where do you get off effectively doing this? That's the question they want to ask. You know what? (laughs) They said, everybody's holy. What did our Declaration of Independence say? All men are created equal. They're making the same plea, aren't they? There's an equality here among the people. And in that equality, we want to share in some of this leadership, self-governance, no tyranny here. And Moses, when he heard it, fell on his face and spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. Do this, take censers, Korah, and all your company. Put fire in them, put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow, and it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. Say, you're overstepping your bounds here. 
So here's what we're going to do. Take your censers. Everybody who's got a complaint, take a censer for burning incense. You take it, you put fire in it, you put the incense in that. And understand, though, you have, you're overstepping your bounds. And the response uh, is, okay, we'll go so far with you, but if you watch... Moses, verse 12, Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliah. But they said, we will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you should keep acting like a prince over us? See, Moses said, all right, everybody, come on, let's gather. We're going to meet in front of the tabernacle. We're going to see what God does. They said, no, we're not going to do it. Who do you think you are to be a prince over us? Is that a, is that a small thing? You've took us out of a land flowing with milk and honey. They were slaves, by the way. And you haven't brought us to a place flowing with milk and honey. Yeah, they're wandering right now because they disobeyed the Lord. This is after the event in Kadesh Barnea. They're going to wander for 40 years, actually. No, we're not coming. You're not going to talk us into that. Verse 16, Moses said to Korah, Tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord, you and they, as well as Aaron. Let each take a censer, put incense in it, and each of you bring a censer before the Lord, 250 censers, both you and Aaron. Each with his censer. So every man took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Did you catch that? And Korah, who is a son of Koath, Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. See, Moses had challenged them. He said, what, do you want the priesthood also? You have this magnificent responsibility. It is a holy responsibility. It is a responsibility that is so significant that you come in right behind the priest, right behind Aaron and the priest, and you move the furniture. It is so holy, in fact, that if it's done wrong, you'll die. That is how significant it is. And that is how close you are to the things of God. And now what do you want? There's only one other place to get closer. It's the priesthood. Is that what you want? And Korah gathers people, says, yeah, pretty much. We want more authority. We want more responsibility here. He gathers the congregation, and then the Lord appears to them. And God's ready to wipe them all out. And Moses says, hang on. (laughs) There's only this select group who are guilty. You don't need to wipe everybody out because of this select group. So God tells Moses to tell the people, separate yourself from Korah, Dathan, and Abiram and the 250 people just separate yourselves from them because I'm going to make it known exactly what should happen. It came to pass, as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground split apart under them. Now they've been separated. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah with all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them and they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled as they, at their cry for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. See, this was God's means of fulfilling what Moses said. Well, let's all get in front of the tabernacle. Let God choose who's holy. Let God choose what is actually happening here and who it is that is to come and serve. And uh, he had said prior to the incident, he said, 
to the nation of Israel. Okay, they wanted, they wanted this showdown. So if the earth, he prophesied this, if the earth swallows them up and they go on to death like no man has ever done before, then you know God wasn't with them. But if the earth does not do that, then everything's good and they can have a spot. Well, the earth swallowed them up. So what's the difference? I go, well, wait a second. See, they were, they, were, they were basically pulling off a revolution, weren't they? they? They got the people. Korah gathered all the congregation against them being Moses and Aaron and this system that is in place. And they got the people, or at least some of the people, to turn against them. They were, they were fomenting this revolution. And they lost. They lost big time because God's judgment, either they were swallowed up by the earth, fell into a sinkhole that opened up right under them, or fire came down from heaven to those that were remaining. And you see, they lost the rebellion, but they learned an invaluable lesson. Now understand how this was all set up. They came out of Egypt. They put together the plans for the tabernacle. The Levites are responsible to move things after Aaron and the priesthood have packaged everything up so they don't die. They have a very significant role. They come near to the things of God, nearer than anybody else other than the, than the priesthood. And that is the sons of Koath. A little time has progressed, and one of the sons of Koath is a son by the name of Korah. He also has this responsibility. He has this privileged place of coming close to the things of God when they've been properly prepared, carrying them. And he has a very sacred responsibility, but he wants the priesthood instead. He wants more. And he oversteps his bounds. And that's where they lost the rebellion but gained an invaluable lesson. With that in mind, we come back to Psalm 84. Did you notice at the introduction, to the chief musician on an instrument of Gath, a psalm of the sons of Korah? Huh. These are the descendants of the guy who the earth swallowed up because he wanted something more. Knowing that now... Let's listen to this psalm again. We're just going to highlight it. Please note at the beginning the question of proximity to God is so foremost in the psalmist's thinking. In verse 2, he says, My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And the psalmist anticipates what it will be like to be close to God, to be near his courts, because that is where God is revealing himself. And for everything that is in him, he just cries out to be in proximity to God, because that's where the blessing is. He speaks about the sparrow, and he speaks about the swallow who find a nest. He says, even the little birds, the insignificant birds, they nest in places around the tabernacle. He has seen this, and he knows that God is caring for someone so insignificant, something so small. 
And yet there is blessing to be found in the presence of God for these, for these little birds. And so it begins with this anticipation of being at the tabernacle. Then, as we move on down a little further, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, verse 5 says, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. So he begins longing for the courts of the Lord, so much so he's driven to move towards the courts of the Lord, to get into the presence of the tabernacle, to be there. And this desire for pilgrimage overcomes all obstacles. It's not always easy to travel back in that day. I mean, Lori and I, we drove down to Fargo and back at one day. They didn't make that kind of, you know, we didn't think a thing of it, right? Air conditioning, nice roads, car runs fine. There's food along the way. We're not worried about robbers. It's not that easy with where they travel. One of the places that he references is the, is the Valley of Baca, verse 6. They pass through the Valley of Baca. The word literally means tears or weeping. There are some difficult places we go through on this journey. But because God gives strength, they go, verse 7, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Their desire to be in proximity to God is so great that regardless of these things, which are obstacles and difficulties, they keep moving forward on their pilgrimage. And so now the psalm progresses, the psalmist progresses towards the tabernacle. And then he's there. Proximity to God, that's the goal. But here's the lesson. Proximity to God is better than presence in the world. Because the writer makes this magnificent statement. For a day in your courts, verse 10, is better than a thousand. I would, that means elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. The writer of the psalmist says that proximity to God is better than presence in the world. That I could just stand for one day and to be a doorkeeper, either one tending at the door or it just says to stand at the threshold. That's why I say just proximity. They don't have to get in. They don't have to be where the Ark of the Covenant is. They just, they're just glad to just be in proximity. Remember, Moses said, is it a small thing that you come so near to the things of God? That wasn't adequate then, but now the writer says, I just want to be close. And in being close to you for even one day, I will be better off than if I was immersed in the things of a godless world for a thousand days. For what a godless world could offer me in a thousand days of being in the midst of them could not begin to compare to what I gain by simply being close you, Lord, for one single day. Proximity to God is better than presence in the world. And the psalmist is overwhelmed with this. And it's the sons of Korah who proclaim this. It's the sons of Korah who understand now why. Because They were given proximity to God and they rebelled against it. They learned in that rebellion that that's adequate. 
You don't have to be the top dog. You don't have to have all the responsibility and all the authority that God is ordering things according to a, a way that God says this is good. Proximity to God is better than presence in the world, friends. This holds true for us today, does it not? It absolutely does. How often do I look for things to fill me, to satisfy me, to somehow make my life better? And they never seem to quite last in terms of what they can offer. It always needs to be followed by something more. First Peter, I think, writes something similar to this. Exhorts the younger in First Peter five five. This won't show up either. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. And Peter is saying, come close to God. Let Him be at work. Let God lift you up. Let God be the one who blesses you. And get away from the godlessness of a world that is constantly, constantly fighting and vying and looking for power and position. James wrote about it this way. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Huh? Quoting the same verse. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Notice this. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The psalmist was talking about being in proximity to God. I'd rather, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Just be close. I don't have to get inside just to be close. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. See, that's what the sons of Korah did not do. They exalted themselves in the sight of the Lord. They have this magnificent responsibility to carry the furniture, the sacred furniture. They come in right behind the priesthood, but it wasn't enough. And they said, we want more. Yeah, we want more. Because we think we deserve more. They said, Moses, who are you that you're the prince of the people? Who made you that? And God says, by the time I said, I did. (laughs) I made Moses that. Moses didn't even want it, if you will recall. But friends, it's just this simple. Proximity to God is better than presence in the world. A thousand days of what it offers us will never be the blessing that it is to say, I want to be in God's presence And I'm going to stay here humbly. I'm going to stay here trusting him. I'm going to let him do his work, knowing that the time will come when he will will lift me up. He will strengthen me. He will bless me. You notice where the psalmist ends. The psalmist ends on this, O Lord of hosts. Now, I'm, I'm going to go one verse further earlier. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. 
O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Proximity to God is better than presence in the world because he, God, is dynamically involved in blessing us at the right time and in the right ways, and that will be worth more than anything we're going to find anywhere else. The sons of Korah, they lost the rebellion, but they learned a valuable lesson. Father, thank you that you are so good and so gracious that you are ready to work on our behalf and we will simply humble ourselves before you and let you do the work that you desire to do by your grace and your glory. Thank you for that. May we seek to walk in that this week, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.